Hey guys, today I have on Cody and Boris from the Movers Club in Montclair. They run a definitely a different type of practice when it comes to their training of their clients. They work more with human locomotion and human movement. And a lot of you are saying, okay, what the hell do you mean? That's the point of this episode. These two are really smart people and they're gonna take you basically a step-by-step of how they go about working with their clients, programming for their clients, and how you can incorporate just general movement into your life. I really hope you guys enjoy the episode. Good morning, everyone. Today we have my friends Cody and Boris from The Movers. Thank you guys so much for coming on. I know this is a really difficult time for everyone and, you know, making time in our day to have this conversation, I think is going to be great for all of us, you know, so we can all learn from each other. How are you guys doing today? Pretty good. Feeling good, man. How are you? I am great, you know, alive and kicking at this point. Thanks for having us. No, and it's an honor to have you guys on, you know, from seeing all the work you guys have done, you know, and me appreciating what you guys do. I felt it would just be awesome to be able to just have a conversation between us three, you know. So let's just literally dig right into it. So give me like an introduction of about you guys, you know, what you guys studied, um, how you guys d- built movers and what movers really is all about. Uh, well, <laughs> I guess uh, we'll start with me. And so I got into the world of movement through um, just my own research and play um, with you know, coming from sports uh, background. I basically was 21, 22, and I had all these injuries in my body that I had accumulated um, and when I started to move away from, uh, sports and team related activities, I got into rock climbing and yoga and through there, I was like, all right, how can I make my practice sustainable? Uh, how can I, uh, make it fun and enjoyable and, um, kind of branch out and learn a lot of different disciplines. Uh, and as that was happening, uh, I met, uh, David Gao, who is Cody's husband. Um, and so I met Cody through David and David was actually my first student. Um, I've been, we've been together for like five years now. Um, and slowly, you know, we had this dream of opening up a space. Um, it's, you know, it took, it took a while for it to actually, you know, fall into place, but, um, yeah, it, here we are. <laughs> here I am in New Jersey. Um, yeah. um, about me, I, Cody, I played soccer growing up my whole life. Um, then I went to pharmacy school, became a pharmacist, married David. Um, and David and Boris were always training in the park together as Boris was doing all this self-exploration and kind of learning about all these movement modalities. And at the same time, I was kind of doing my own thing with my own movement practice, doing yoga, becoming a yoga teacher. Um, and I just always thought what they were doing was was really neat and looked really different. Um, I started working in the city through the night as a nuclear pharmacist. Um, 
which if you know anything about health and longevity, you know, shift work is the worst thing for you. Um, so I was working through the night and trying to take these teachings that these kind of fundamental movement practices that Boris teach, teaches, you know, sitting in a deep squat, hanging in a passive hang, doing spinal waves. And I was trying to implement them throughout the night on my shift and teaching it to my fellow um, co-workers, but it was just not a lifestyle I wanted to live. And we really thought that kind of a lot more people needed to experience this type of movement practice. At the time, it was really not accessible. You needed kind of like a lot of money and a lot of time in order to get into it. So we thought it would just be really special to open up a space where we could develop a community here in Montclair, now online through the coronavirus thing, been really sort of a special time for us because we've been able to connect with people from across the globe who also enjoy, you know, what we have to share. So that's been really exciting too. Yeah. And I think it's great what you guys do because there's a certain camp of people that know exactly what you guys do and say, oh, this is great. And then there's some people like, what the hell are they doing? Right. And for me, I, I wouldn't say I significantly studied him, but like I, I learned a good amount about Ido Portal, you know, and how his movement practice worked. And I remember when I first reached out to you guys, my girlfriend found your page and she, and she says, Oh, you got to see these guys. You'll love it. And the reason why is because I'm the guy in the kitchen on a balance beam that I made cooking food. I take the half foam roller, I fold it in half and then I'm doing balance work on that. I take two by fours and I hold them up and try and balance them. And I just learned that from Ido and watching his stuff. And then when I saw you guys, I'm like, holy crap, like this is, I love this shit, you know? But for the person that doesn't know anything about what you guys are doing and what Movers is, like, how would you explain that to someone? Like, what is it that you guys offer in your services, I guess is a good way to say it. So I think um, it's kind of a popular saying, uh, whatever kind of stimulus you give your body, it'll adapt to. Our bodies are, are really, really adaptable. And if that stimulus is a lack of stimulus, which is, you know, a lot of people just sitting at their desk or not inviting a whole lot of movement into our day, your body's going to adapt to that and learn to kind of be restricted in certain ways. And then on the flip side of the coin, there's a lot of people who will only do one specific type of practice. Like maybe you only do weightlifting or you only do yoga or you you're in these camps. And when that happens, then there's a lot you're missing out on. Um, with yoga, if you only do yoga, you're missing out on a lot of pull exercises, a lot of weightlifters will lose a lot of range of motion because they're they're only lifting in certain patterns. And I think the best way to describe what we do is to try and invite as many movements into your body as possible so you don't lose those those movement patterns. So we try and diversify as much as possible. Instead of specializing in any one practice, we try and be generalists in as many different practices as we can. Um, and to add to that, so uh, this is kind of a concept I heard from a guy, Joseph Bartz. Um, he's a former Edo mentorship student. Um, and he has, a, he has a really nice video on YouTube uh, describing this. But he talks about two layers to a practice, uh, a generalized layer and a specialized layer. Um, 
And basically the generalized layer is your pool of potential. It's your broad base. Um, it's your foundation. And from that foundation, you can do whatever you want with it. You can specialize in a specific sport. You can specialize in playing with your kids. Um, and what we do is we build the foundation. Um, we build this broad base um, so that if you choose to go into CrossFit, you can go into it safely, understanding what your body can do, understanding its potential, understanding uh, just basic uh, biomechanics uh, and also uh, fundamental positions like squatting, hanging, um, and how those uh, basic positions can essentially sustain you through your specialized practice or whatever that is. Yeah. And, and I think nowadays being how like fitness has boomed in the past, like five years, I'd say like my mom goes to yoga and she used to never exercise. Right. But I think that gives people the chance to go and try new things. So you can try one class where you're doing barbells overhead. You have one class where you're snatching kettlebells. You have one class where you're doing max reps, pull-ups, which is great. But like you guys were saying, you have to own these positions, right? And we all fall into certain camps, like me included. Like uh, Boris, I don't even remember when I came here to class, I work, work more with uh, Olympic weightlifting. So I'm pretty good. I'm pretty decent overhead, but my shoulder stability sucks. So if you throw me on rings, I'm miserable, right? Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people only do what they're good at, right? Like if I'm good at bench press, I'm going to bench press. If I'm good at planking, I'm, I'm going to do planks, right? But you're not going to do the opposite of what you're not good at. And from what I got when I went to that one class with you guys, you put people into uncomfortable positions in, in a safe manner, right? To be able to cause a stimulus to then get them into certain positions that they should, should or should not be able to get into. And I think that that's huge because we all fall into systems where, like for me, with Olympic weightlifting – I have, I'm pretty flexible, right? But my shoulder always hurts. <laughs> so what's the purpose behind that, right? If, if, I, if I can go and snatch body weight, but I can't lift something overhead, like put something in the cupboard, what's, what's the point, right? Mm -hmm. And I think you guys are talking with the generalized stuff, like that forming that base layer platform will then help everything going up. Exactly. Right? Exactly. So a really good example of that, I think um, I'm, I, I'm one of those people too that's kind of, that does this. I try and only train my strengths. I try and stay away from, from the, the strength stuff, the weightlifting, the, the pull-ups, um, that kind of thing. And I think I see our students really like to stay away from um, a certain a certain practice that's our, our locomotion practice which is kind of like it looks like a yoga flow but it's pretty creative it has to do with you know changing levels and creating a floor um, uh, like a, a flow on the floor and as we age we start to kind of lose that coordination and that balance and that stability so i see my my mom included you know really wants to stay away from that type of work because they feel like they're not good at it um but it's so important to do those things that you're not good at it strengthens those neural connections which actually you know can help you gain 
those perceived weaknesses back. Um, so I think it's it's really important. One of the things that we teach is having a beginner's mind and just really being okay with being uncomfortable and working through those those sticky spots in your training and trying to address your weaknesses. Right. And I think people become used to saying strength is done with a barbell, kettlebell, dumbbell, and endurance is done by running, right? But I think I really think we can build endurance through strength. I don't know where I heard that, but I, you can build endurance through, through strength. And I think with what you guys are doing, you guys are trying to incorporate that into everything you're doing. But another question I have is, so for me in my field, right, I can go and just look up research and I'll say, okay, chiropractic, I can do these orthopedic tests. How do you guys keep up with this stuff? Like, how do you learn new stuff? Or is it more exploration than anything? Um, well, learning to learn is a skill in and of itself. Um, and that's kind of also the benefit of <clears throat> our practice is that because we're exposing you to so many different things, we're also gauging how you're picking up the material. Um, so everyone, you know, will have a different style of learning. For example, I am a very, very poor uh, auditory learner, but if I can see you and I can see what you're doing, I can copy it. Um, so just, just like the, the, the process of learning, there's, uh, the technical side of it where, for example, David is a great technical learner. He can analyze the details of things. Um, there's also the strength way of learning where you can just kind of muscle through the pattern. Uh, and then there's uh, what Ido calls the Shen way of learning. Shen in Chinese is spirit. So you basically can look at something and you can uh, feel what it's supposed to feel like. You can see it and you're, you can embody it. Um, and dancers learn this way. Um, and so, you know, everyone has their own strengths of how they learn, but learning uh, trying to, uh, I guess, learn in a different way will also just increase your capacity to pick up material. Um, but so I guess back to your question, um, how do I learn? Well, I also have a teacher. <laughs> no, you have um, to, I have a trainer. Sure. I, yeah. I, I have, I have, a, I have several teachers. Um, mm -hmm. and I'm always kind of, never resting on my laurels. I'm always looking for what's, you know, what's next. Um, I'm, there's this threshold that you have to be at, um, this level of where you're, you're just uncomfortable. You're not really, uh, you're not always succeeding. Um, what's it's like in that book flow where, uh, there, there's a, there's a level to the challenge that has to, be there where if it's too easy you get bored if it's too uh, if it's too great it gives you anxiety and your nervous system shuts down mm -hmm. so learning how to stay present and be in that zone where uh, things are uncomfortable and things are challenging but you're not getting overwhelmed is I think a big part of the process of learning Oh yeah, absolutely. And, and I, and I think adaptation is a big thing with learning too, right? 
we adapt to demands that our body can handle. And I, I think for me, at least when it comes to learning or trying to learn something, it's I'm l- trying to go learn a technique because one of my patients or myself is having some type of movement inefficiency. Like someone might lack external rotation of the shoulder. And if they lack external rotation and I do all my modalities and I do all of my cueing and exercising and that doesn't work, I just go to my mentors, go to my heroes. And like you guys, what you said, I just go and try and learn from that, right? How about you, Cody? So I have this huge benefit of having Boris in my corner because, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know, I'm still, I'm a practicing pharmacist still. I work at a functional medicine pharmacy um, and I have a, a new daughter. She's one. So I, I don't have a lot of time and <laughs> Boris really makes it his life to seek out these people who are experts in their fields, yeah. you know, um, dancers and m- movement practitioners. So it's just, really to my benefit that I get the fruits of his labor and the culmination of all of his work that he puts into his programming. And I just don't have to (laughs) spend all my time seeking out those people. And I can just um, really benefit from his, his programming. It's really um, Right. Well, I'm pretty lucky. <laughs> well, it's just interesting because like, like we said at the beginning, this is a relatively new or maybe if it's not new, it's an unexplored horizon, right? And for me, I could just go into a textbook and learn a lot of things, you know? And th- But for you guys, it's really just reaching out to people that have been doing it longer than you have at this point and finding those people that do it, which is incredible. All right. Well, and, there's, and you also pick up the process of learning. And if you can understand the steps that you need to take to learn uh, how to do a handstand, for example, mm-hmm. um, well, that process you can then transfer into learning something else, like picking up guitar. Like just the fact that I know how to structure my training sessions in ways that are kind of effective and efficient. Um, I can also take the guitar and like, all right, what are the basics of learning guitar? Where, where, what's the first steps? How do I build a foundation mm-hmm. from which I can then play and improvise? And I think that process you can apply to learning a language, um, to learning, you know, if you want to go to a yoga class and learn the basics of yoga, you'll go into that class and you'll have a sense of this is what I need to do to get better at yoga or same thing with CrossFit. So this is kind of what I really love about movement or just like a physical, a physical practice in general. Mm -hmm. Um, If you can step outside of just, you know, if if you can step outside of um, being so invested in just learning the pattern and take a broader perspective Mm-hmm. Um, of how am I learning to pick up the pattern, then that's applicable to pretty much anything you, you want to do in your life, right? Yeah. Um, when it comes to Olympic weightlifting, you know, 135 <laughs> pounds should look like 245 pounds. It should always look the same, you know, if you look at the person from the side. And from learning that type of patterns, I picked up archery. I, I shoot target archery with a compound bow and it's the same thing. It's going through my same steps, controlling my breath, lowering the rib cage, squeezing my shoulder down, bringing it back, lightly allowing the bow to release. And people are like, okay, this makes no sense, but 
the same exact thing when I lift. And I'm try. I I love learning new types of modalities. Like for me, I started with powerlifting, then I went into Olympic weightlifting, and now I'm actually training for. Are you familiar with Strong First, the kettlebell certification? Yes. Mm-hmm. So I'm training for Strong First right now in December, and what's awesome about it is, with my only background, snatches and cleans are pretty easy, but overhead press right now is miserable. You know, heavy swings are kind of a challenge too. But I'm able to incorporate things like you're saying from other from the way I learned other type of practices to incorporate it into this. And I think I'm able to learn a lot faster now because of that. And it's more of a benefit for me, at least. I think what um, one of the beautiful things about a movement practice, which makes it hard to describe, you know, everyone tries to put it into a bubble. If you were to write the book right that and make it a method you know the the movers club movement method it Mm -hmm. takes away what's special about it because the whole idea is to be a generalist and to learn all these different things and apply the learning process to um different modalities so i think that's why it's special and also why it's hard to describe yeah because with any movement type movement for you guys yoga uh, Olympic weightlifting, whatever it is, when you're in that flow, you know what that means. Like the runner's high is a thing. And and I think when you're in that moment and you're, you're, you know, everything's moving correctly and fluidly, there's no way to describe that. There really isn't. Uh, unless you guys know a way to describe that. No, but the book flow describes it really well. <laughs> good, no, good. And, that's, and, and no, I'm, I'm running it down right now because I, I have to get it. Because... every patient I speak to is like, yeah, I I was on. That's what what they tell me. I was on. My my hip felt incredible today. I I can't tell you what that was. I can't explain how it happened, you know, but it it did happen. Let let me ask you another question about we were talking about before with uh, learning, right? Auditory, visual. What would you say like your clientele responds more to when it comes to like cueing for say? Would you say they're better external or internal? So are you more quiet when you're giving your cueing or you're giving more actual auditory input? Uh, definitely, definitely auditory input. Mm-hmm. Um, audit, well, you kind of have to use a combination of auditory and visual and also uh, manual tactile feedback. Mm-hmm. Um, because you don't really know, as, at least at the beginning, you don't really know what your clients or how they learn. So you kind of have to give them the general uh, auditory, visual, and tactile and see how they learn and pick it up. Mm-hmm. Um, so if I, I'm demonstrating something new, I'll have you know one of my more experienced students come up uh, and as he's doing the thing, I'm talking, I'm talking him through it. And then I'm also, uh, showing them how, if we're going to work as partners, how the partner is going to help, uh, the other person learn them, learn the pattern. Uh, so for example, if I'm teaching, uh, scapular pushups, which is basically hands on the floor, you're in, uh, like a tabletop position and you're just going through a closed chained, uh, scapular protraction and retraction how does the partner facilitate learning that motion? So, you know, you can put your hands on uh, that person's scapula uh, and help guide them into retraction and protraction. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and then they can also give um, auditory feedback. Keep your shoulders down away from your ears. Um, spread your hands into the floor. Lock your elbows. Stuff like that. Um, yeah. So it's it's kind of it's a combination of things. But I think in particular, people are um, not so not so good at seeing and copying. Mm-hmm. Dancers are really good at this. Uh, but people in general, if I if I uh, show them uh, just like a basic quadruped walk, mm-hmm. they get down on the floor and they're like, uh, wait, what am I doing again? Right. Um, so a lot of times you just have to keep talking them through it sure. step by step and break, break things down into digestible pieces first before you put them into a, a bigger hole. Right. And I think what I've seen a lot of too is you're going to realize people come in with minimal baseline knowledge with this stuff. So you saying externally rotate, internally rotate, court your feet to the ground, form tension. They're like, what? They don't know what that means. So what I've seen is the less you use body parts and use more just certain, say, take your feet and grip the ground, you know, let's say you're, tr- you're trying to get someone to form more contraction in the lat. Imagine you have a towel in your armpit, squeeze the armpit close. Stuff like that, I feel, has helped people rather than saying, take your glue and squeeze your glue. Like, that doesn't work. Right. You know? and, and, and I think it's figuring that out with the certain client you're with. You know, I, I feel the athletic person, you know, tends to pick up things faster, but the average average general population person you really need to baby them right but it took me years to figure out how to cue in a fast enough way that people would understand that's why i wanted to get your input on that because for you guys everything you're teaching someone something new every single day right 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 um and even just like how do you put your your hands on the floor, um, you know, you, you have to go through these checkpoints and you have to go through them constantly. Uh, even if you say it once, twice, they'll come in the next day and there you still have to say it again and again and again. So just even that repetition of hearing it um, will eventually instill uh, the pattern in them. Um, but saying external rotation isn't helpful. Uh, in the beginning, you have to give a more kind of like uh, visual, uh, like if I wanted someone to move with grace, I can't just say, okay, now do this gracefully. You have to say, all right, pretend you're in a pool of water or pretend you're in a pot of honey. Pretend you're moving through honey. Uh, Feel what kind of that viscosity in the air around you feels like and that's kind of how uh, you can instill qualities in a in your clients and your students yeah it's, it's giving them analogies that they understand right, like right. If, I, if i had you with me and or if we were squatting and i told you don't post your tilt don't anterior tilt you could adjust but for the average person what oh don't let your pelvis dump forward what <laughs> don't let your pelvis bump backwards what i tell Imagine your, your brim, your entire rim of your pelvis, your hip is a barrel of water. Don't let it dump forward. Don't let it dump backward. 
Mm-hmm. That's it. That, that, that's it. And it's just figuring out those analogies for people, you know, uh, sure. Keep the shoulder packed, keep the shoulder packed. Imagine there's a towel in between your armpit, squeeze it, you know, st- simple stuff like that, I think is what really I found helps people. I think 99% of the time that's true. I don't want to ignore that group of people out there, that subpopulation that just loves to be analytical and Boris is so good at like, knowing these people and knowing their way to learn because my husband cannot picture honey my husband (laughs) cannot picture any of those things he wants to know posterior anterior tilt he wants to know protract retract and some people just love to research love to read love to listen to podcasts and and that's great if especially if you're working one-on-one with students and you know that that's the way they like to learn um and it, it, it gives you more verbiage to play with too. And when people do learn that way, so. Yeah. No, yeah, absolutely. You, you know, when you see those people, <laughs> well, there's some, for me, at least patients come in and they read, they read at WebMD before they came in. So they know what a cervical radiculopathy is. They know what a disc herniation is. Uh, they know what a rotator cuff tear is. So, but, but I like that though, because you, you know, it, they went out and learned what they wanted to learn. And it allows, it allows me to, you know what, that's great, but it's actually this. And then I can actually explain to them why it's that. And they go, okay, I appreciate that. Rather than the person just coming in saying, okay, fix this. Or for you guys saying, I want to be able to do handstands. What, what's the reason behind that, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's the next thing I wanted to talk to you guys about when it comes to uh, goal setting for clients, right? a lot of people will come to you without an understanding of what you guys have to offer. Right. So how do you go about setting goals for a client that comes in day one? Um, so I, I we touched on it earlier. Um, but I think it's important that we kind of let people set goals for themselves and then help them achieve those goals. Mm -hmm. Um, But like we were talking about earlier, people tend to try and shy away from their weaknesses. Um, So I, I think just showing them the entire practice, especially in a group class, you know, when the studio opens back up after this, we can kind of show people our entire practice. So, you know, Boris will incorporate lots of different elements of the movement practice throughout a group class and kind of, um, show people different elements, let them explore different elements of movement and encourage them to uh, lean into those things that they're not good at and try and set those, those small um, goals for them. So even if they don't particularly enjoy it, maybe encouraging them to, to lean into those practices. Um, but at the end of the day, you have to own your own practice. So my goal right now is a handstand and Boris, you know, I'm, I'm almost there. I get it maybe every other day. <laughs> Boris broke down the process for me, all those important things that, that you really don't think about. Um, opening, opening up a across certain joints, strengthening through other parts of and giving me those tools to work on so I can get there quicker depending on my own personal goals. Um, So in the beginning, it's uh, the way uh, I like to do things is through exposure. Um, Our practice is so broad that uh, the, the trouble with it is seeing the bigger picture. Um, and a lot of people ask me, well, what is the bigger picture? Well, well, that's really dependent on you. 
my bigger picture is very different from Cody's, from anyone else's that comes in through the door. Um, but what I want to do is, okay, here, new student comes in, squatting, hanging, spine waves, hands on the floor. Those are kind of the four uh, important basics that you really need to lay uh, right at the beginning. And I do them as my warm up. Uh, but then I can move on to, okay, we have locomotion, we have uh, floor work, uh, we have changing levels. Um, and you start to just kind of expose them to a lot of different elements and you see where they need the work. Um, and where they need the work is where I gently nudge them into uh, putting in more work. Mm. Um, they don't know how to develop uh, elasticity through their lower body. Okay, well, this is where we, we put our focus. We focus on uh, reaction time with the floor, speed. Um, or, for example, um, people are lacking mobility in their hips and their shoulders. You know, we, we put a heavy focus on that. You know, everyone's path is going to be different depending on what their prior history is with their own bodies. Um, so in the beginning, you give them a taste of everything, and then you see uh, which areas need the development. Um, and then you start to just put, put in more work in that area so that you start to kind of level out each specific area. So in, there's no glaring deficiency here. It's all kind of uh, an, an even pool to draw from. And and it's incredible what you just said. And a word you didn't even say is assessment, but that's what you're doing and and assessment. That's what you are doing. That's what I do, but that's what PT does. It's exactly the same physical personal trainers, same exact thing you're doing. You're taking a baseline movements, like you said, and then you're basically funneling in and out what works and what doesn't. And for you, you might see something, and the, but, the, but the client might say, I don't see that. I, this looks fine because for them, it looks great. But I think what really helped me, at least in my practice, I don't know if this helps for you guys, is showing someone something they can't do. And when you show them something they can't do, they're, they're, they're bought in. Like, oh, wow, mm-hmm. like, I can't do that. Like, I, I can't do a plank. I, I, can't, I can't do a, a pull-up from the rings, but I can do it from the, the straight bar. What, what's that about? Then they're bought in, right? Yeah. I think it's showing people things they can't do when they thought they were the stud in this or that, that then sucks them in, right? And, but that, that works for the healthy population, right? What, would, what do you guys do with someone that comes in with an underlying injury? You know, it, it can be any example you want. I'm just saying, let's say someone came in with like a knee or a back injury. You know, they've been to chiropractors, physical therapists, but they wanted to just try something new. How do you guys go about that? Uh, that's, that's a really good question. Um, again, one of the benefits of our practice is that it's so broad. So, for example, if uh, someone comes in with a shoulder injury, well, there's so many other things you can still practice. So uh, you can still keep working on uh, your spine mobility, spinal awareness. You can still work on your lower body stuff. So, you know, there's no shortage of material from which to draw from. So that's kind of the first thing. Um, So the the practice can still be ongoing. 
you can still work around the shoulder injury without, you know, directly aggravating it, making it worse. You can give it the time to heal. Um, the second thing is just knowledge. Okay. You have, uh, you know, and chiropractors, PTs, we all do this is like, all right, let's go through pain-free range of motion. Let's first just educate you. This is what your shoulder can do. This is where it starts to get, uh, you know, this is the line where the pain is happening. Um, all right. So now that we know where in the range of motion your pain is, let's see if we can, you know, we're not going to diagnose it, uh, but we're going to, we have our own kind of uh, toolbox from which we can use to uh, facilitate the healing process of your shoulder. Um, so uh, hanging figure eight or teacup patterns, uh, which is basically open chain, internal, external rotation, mm-hmm. um, and hands on the floor, weight bearing. Uh, so the, you know, for the shoulder specifically, these are the three foundational, uh, things to help you restore function in the shoulder. So like, for example, uh, back in August, uh, I, partially subluxed my AC joint, tore posterior ligament there. Uh, I had the confidence to know, all right, let me go through my own movement assessment, see what I can or I can't do. Okay, I, I'm going to do uh, 500 teacups a day. And I, within a day, I restored overhead motion. <laughs> um, so having that process and giving people that process of understanding how that one the practice doesn't end. There's tons of other stuff you can do. And two, here are the tools that you're going to use to help uh, in the rehab. Yeah. So, you know what it, th- that really like came out to me, what popped out is you use a global approach, right? You yes. don't just work at the site of pain. We're just talking shoulder now. So if you have pain in the anterior, the front part of your shoulder, you can't just go and work on the front of the shoulder. You have to work on the neck, the cervical spine, the mid-back, the thoracic spine, the actual scapula, your shoulder blade. You know, people, a lot of people in any profession think going to that specific site of pain or discomfort is what will make them better. But a lot of times, like you're saying, if you go and do certain things, you know, you do some thoracic spine openers, the shoulder pains come. Mm-hmm. You know, our, our body's an incredible machine that we need to really understand and really get under the hood, which is what you're doing, right? And finding the other or the, the main thing that caused the issue, right? Because a lot of right. what people don't realize is what you do, what I do, PT, orthopedists, we're trying to get an effect, right? But there's cause and effect, right? So what's causing the pain is causing, is giving you the effect, so if you say, oh, I know you have shoulder pain, great, let's fix it. But if you don't find that exact cause and you're just putting a Band-Aid over it, it's going to keep happening. And that's the issue with the model. And I'm sure you've seen that too. People said, yeah, I went to this person, this person, that person, and they all did the same thing. And then they, they say to you, no one's ever done this with me. I'm sure you've heard that so many times. No, no one's ever tried that with me because you take the global approach. And I think another thing when it comes to pain with someone, they're, they're mortified, right? 
they're guarded. They don't want to go through certain things. But if we show them certain movements are doable and not painful, then they get a little bit more open to trying those things. Because, like, like, again, we're just going shoulder. Like, so you take the shoulder, say, oh, my God, my shoulder hurts so bad. But you put them into a hanging position on a pull-up bar, like, oh, wait, that doesn't hurt. That actually feels a little better. Oh, I just felt the pop in my shoulder. When was the last time you reached your arm overhead? Oh, like four months ago. This, mm-hmm. this person or that person told me not to reach my arm overhead. Right. And, and, and I'm not here to bash anyone. It's just everyone's kind of contradicting each other, you know? But I think like I, at the end of the day, yeah, if you take that global approach to things, I think you'll find a lot. And I think that's what you've found now. Yeah, very much so. But if only everyone did that, <laughs> right? Right, right. Well, not everyone is interested. Um, so the CrossFitter just wants to heal the shoulder so he can get back to doing uh, snatches and doing overhead movement. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, yeah, but what about your thoracic spine? You know, you, you should, you know, so the global approach really is effective for people um, who also want to just learn their entire body, uh, mm-hmm. and learn how things are related, uh, are interdependent. Um, I think I notice a lot of times when somebody gets injured, this is more for the, the non-athlete, I would say, that's not trying to get back to a specific practice. A lot of times people just shut down. And I think one of the worst things you can do after a serious injury is just, <clears throat> it's just shut down and stop practicing. Um, because then you're, you're really just going to kind of go downhill and you want to improve your movement throughout your life. And even if there's, that's an injury, that's something that can be overcome. Um, your movement practice might have to be modified. It might have to be different. But I think it's important for people to know that an injury doesn't have to stop their movement practice. It, should, it might slow it down, but you definitely want to keep moving through injury. Yeah. But also a lot of people see exercise as all in, high intensity. If I'm not sweating, it's not a workout. So if you have a knee injury, you can't go all in, full sweat, 156 beats per, per minute. So they see it as you can't exercise. But it's important, like you said, we have to keep moving these areas because what heals a tendon is time under tension, right? What's time mm-hmm. under tension? Load. And what's load? Body weight movement, strength training. But people don't see that, right? And I get it. You should never try and grind through an injury but there's certain things we could do to take steps back and be able to train you around that. Right. Right. Uh, and, uh, just from my experience in the FRC world, functional range conditioning with, mm-hmm. with Gina, you get, you know, one of the first things you learn in the rehab process is isometrics, right? If you have uh, an injury, one of the first things you want to introduce is isometrics and pain free ranges to, still uh, create the, the adaptation you need, then you move on to eccentrics. But if you get these people to do, uh, learn how to create global body tension and do an isometric, it's quite challenging. It's really difficult. Um, you're still getting a good workout mm-hmm. um, without, you know, sweating like crazy. But, you know, at the end of it, you're, you're just like, your nervous system is, is right. fried and, and you need to rest. So, 
Yeah. yeah, because you're building those new neural pathways. You know, when you squat, like you want your lats on, you want your traps on, you want your bicep flex. Most people just think, all right, up and down. You know, and up and down works for 50% of your one repetition max. But if you talk to any power lifter, like you hit five sets of two at 90%, you're tired. Like mm-hmm. you're fucking tired. But it, 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 goes, it goes back to that, you know, finding a way to build tension through the body and people being able to use that global approach to things. And a lot of times why an injury happens is because we didn't use everything globally. And when it comes to working with athletes, a lot of times they don't see that. They don't see the big picture like the CrossFitters will too. They say, I have pain with butterfly pull-ups, right? But why do you have pain with butterfly pull-ups? You know, is it that on the way up, you get the pain on the way back down, you get the pain. I don't know. It it just hurts. So it's finding buy-in with them because it's for me right now with my kettlebell practice, like I have really shitty stability. So for me, my trainer is giving me a lot of stability work for the shoulder and I would never do stability work, you know, and I should, I know being what I do, like practice what you preach, right? But I never do. But now I see the big picture. Like, wow, me actually doing these 150 band pull-aparts every other day has stabilized my shoulder and I can do a Z press. A Z press is for those of you that know is when you're sitting on the ground and you take a bell, dumbbell, and you press it overhead. Now I can do 20, 30 pounds more than I was able to a month ago. Not because I got stronger, but because I'm able to stabilize the shoulder better now. And I think it's just teaching people why we're doing these things to add on to their program, to get them to where they want to go. Right. Yep. Yep. Learning the difference between stability and mobility and how, and how each of these joints, uh, there's a really wonderful diagram, uh, with, uh, like each joint piece by piece and it's showing the relationship uh, between one and the other. So for example, the glenohumeral joint is for mobility while the scapula is for stability. Mm-hmm. Um, so kind of learning that and understanding that. Yeah, I, I believe, I don't know, it, it's probably written in multiple different publications, but uh, Greg Cook and Mike Boyle developed the joint-by-joint approach, right? You know, proximal stability for distal mobility. Right? Yeah, yeah. Right? So you want to have a stable joint, a mobile joint, a stable joint, a mobile joint, up and down the chain, right? But when something is meant to be mm-hmm. stable and it's mobile, whatever above and below has to become the mobile or stable joint, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of times when I see a low back injury, I won't say nine out of 10, but maybe seven out of 10, one of the hips are involved. Like mm-hmm. I, I, every single time, whenever the shoulder's involved, the, the neck is always involved. Like, oh, you know, and it's, it's just going back to that approach, right? finding what is stable and what isn't. And people just think if, oh, this shoulder press like this is the same as this, as the same as that, you know? Mm -hmm. And some people think a squat is a quarter squat, a half squat, and a full squat. They all see the squat the same. And we need to find straight movement, like minimal competencies, right, to be able to, I guess, have a baseline for entry. Do you have like a certain baseline of entry when it comes to certain movements like the squat or the pull-up? Just those two, for example, because I'm just interested. Um, let me see if I can understand the question. 
what would you consider a proper squat and a proper pull up? Uh, <laughs> it depends. Well, <laughs> I would I would say more like what do you see as a proper hip and a proper shoulder because I don't think there really is uh, one global or one general proper squat. Right. I, the way I I see things is you know because you know if if you take an athlete uh say a, a soccer player if and you only have them doing uh squats where their knees go in proper alignment over their second and third toes that doesn't necessarily help them in their field they need to be doing squats where their knees are actually going inward mm-hmm. uh and so they're they're training with the right amount of load and adapt uh, to create the right ab- adaptation for the medial structures of their knees. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they need to learn how to create internal and external rotation at their knee joint. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, uh, a proper squat is highly dependent on the context. Um, so, which is why we do, uh, so I, ha- I have this interesting task with a tennis ball uh, where you catch the tennis ball, uh, you throw up the tennis ball and you catch it on the way down after, so the tennis ball bounces, it goes up and on the way down, you catch it uh, in between your index and your middle finger. Uh, and so something I like to play with is how many different squat variations can you do while catching that tennis ball? So I'll do a regular squat where, you know, feet are shoulder width apart, knees are tracking over the second, third toes. Then I'll do a squat where my feet are together. Uh, then I'll do a squat where my knees are collapsing inward. Mm-hmm. Uh, then I'll do, uh, um, a sissy squat where my knees are really, really far past my toes. Um, so a, pro- a proper squat. So a proper squat, I think is highly dependent on a proper hip. Can your hip internally and externally rotate? Do you have uh, strength in your end ranges? Um, and if that range of motion issue is solved, now your potential for any number of uh, different kinds of squats is, is open for you. Um, and then you can use that potential that you created in whatever, whatever field you're, you're doing it in. And that's like the exact answer I was looking for because <laughs> no, no, I, I just wanted to understand your mechanics behind it because I think first it comes to comes down to structure, right? Like how is your hip socket structured, right? If your hip socket, your acetabulum tends to be a little deeper your foot position is going to be a little different, right? If it's a little more shallow, that's going to affect the way your foot is positioned too and how the musculature around it contracts. You know, uh, I think Stu McGill is the one that said it like the, the reason you can deep squat so well is not because of your athleticism. It's mom and dad, right? The way mom and dad or how genetically made will determine how well you can squat. My mom can get into a perfect deep squat, perfect deep squat, like no problem. But the average person, it's heels up, rounded forward. It's just our anatomy. You want to say something, Cody? Uh, 
um, I'm not sure that say there's no poor movement. There's only poor preparation or something. There's no, there's no improper movement. There's only improper preparation. Yeah. So uh, the way I look at it is if you, even if you do train the perfect squat, every, the textbook squat every single time, um, when you get injured, like Boris was kind of saying with a soccer player, um, on the field, if you get injured, you're going to get injured doing something improper. You're not going to be doing the perfect form of something when you get injured. So it's best if you want to make someone resilient against injury and prepared and you want to um, bring them through as many different kind of movement patterns as possible and have their joints experience load in different ways so that they can be resilient against injury. Yeah. Like technically perfect squat pattern is what feet straight forward, go down your knee does not pass the second toe. But I know some guys that, you know, you, you tilt their feet out to 10 o'clock and two o'clock and they can do some incredible things. Right. Mm -hmm. And I can't take that away from them, you know, because the one camp will say that, okay, if you squat, if you run, you're running with your feet straight. If you jump in the air, you're running with your feet straight. If you lunge, you're lunging with your feet straight. Why aren't you squatting with your feet straight? Well, the thing is, if you squat down, there's going to be a blockage in the hip at some point. We're all not developed the same way, like I was saying before. So having someone, you know, bring their feet out to 10 and 2 or, you know, even a little further, like 8, 8 and 4, whatever it is that can help them get into that position and lift a shit ton of weight, I'm okay with. But you're only going to be able to do this for so long, Right. Like with me, with Olympic weightlifting, I can get into the position, but my shoulder really internally rotates on the left side. And I've been able to get away with it for a long time, but I'm paying the price now. You know, the average powerlifting career lasts how long? You know, because you find your perfect sticking point. You find that position you can get into in your squat and you do and you hit it for years on years on years and you blow through your hip. But it's, it's for sport. You know, every athlete's different. You know, if I use the SFMA screen, right, or the, the FMS is the uh, trainer screen of, the, of that version. If you do, let's just say, like a, um, a dorsiflexion test, right, assessing ankle motion, and the left side is completely fine and the right side is complete crap, but they're able to, you know, have a 40-inch vertical and run a 4-4-40, like, am I going to fix that? Do I have to fix that? Or do I work around that? I don't know. I don't know what the right answer is. I don't think anyone really knows what the right answer is to that, you know, but right. it's, it's just going back to, like you said, your proper assessment patterns, going through those assessment patterns and then building the platform from there. Right. And understanding the context. Yes. So not applying the same, uh, finishing product to everyone. Yeah. Uh, that's huge. And then yeah, also, as Cody said, uh, just variable loads. Um, okay, you're always in an overhead position in internal rotation. Well, let's do the opposite. Let's give you a, a different vector, uh, a different uh, line of information into uh, your shoulder joint um, mm -hmm. and give you a little bit more movement complexity and overall adaptation. Um, yeah, absolutely. And there's multiple ways to get to a product. Like I know some amazing trainers that do not have their clients back squat. They do Bulgarians, they do split squats and they get amazing results. You know, there was a point where in my, in my training where I didn't deadlift at all because I was doing so much like snatch pulls, clean pulls, but my deadlift kept going up 
right? You, people become so formed to a system where I have to use a, a barbell, back squat, barbell, deadlift, but there's other modalities, right? And, and I think you guys really find ways to teach people that, right? Yeah, exactly. To an extent, right? So, I mean, I'm, I could go for another hour, but we're coming up on an hour, which is amazing. So, um, I always ask two questions at the end, right? The first one is, give me your three favorite books. Doesn't have to be fitness related, anything you like. Um, I think this is a pretty popular one amongst, um, I'll say self-help, even though I don't like that word, <laughs> community, yeah. um, the four agreements. Um, it's kind of one that I just probably read once a year. It's a good reminder because, you know, I always forget, I implement them for a little while and, and then I forget. So that's, that's a great one. If you just want some, it's short and it's so concise and I think it applies to everyone. Um, Another one is Atomic Habits by James Clear. I don't know if you've ever heard of that one. Um, but Boris is so good at having a system and implementing his habits and just doing it every day. And he, he trains every day and he does everything he's supposed to do every day. And I kind of wait, like ride this wave of emotions. So it's really hard for me to uh, have these, these habits that I stick to in that book, which just absolutely wonderful for helping me kind of improve the habits I want to in my life. Um, and the third one is called flow. Um, we good, both good luck saying that author's last Yeah. Name. I'm, I'm not going to try and pronounce his name. His first name is Mahali. Um, okay. the last name is, is very long. Um, <laughs> but he describes what you were explaining earlier about flow states and how to try and implement those flow states into everything we do in our lives, even washing the dishes or, or anything like that. And just kind of, um, talks about how, beneficial experiencing those states are and and how it kind of optimizes our lives so that was a really great one too yeah and and like that's the thing you can't teach flow but you can explain it in a certain way for people to be able to implement it right and with atomic habits i haven't read it yet but i heard them on a podcast before but that's the thing like especially going on now in the world people are like losing their minds like oh my god i'm so bored there's nothing to do but even before this all happened like i have my day structured like to the hour so for me it's like this is just more downtime so i can plug in other things to be doing and i'm sure you guys are doing the same exact thing right you know, everything has to be struck, not just your training, training, diet, personal life, you know, what you do for fun too. And I think I, I've been mean, meaning to get that book. I think that definitely helps, right? To build better habits. People think if you structure your day, um, it kind of impinges their creativity and, and mm -hmm. trying to, you know, uh, do what they want throughout the day. But actually, if you structure your day it, and you, you know what you have to do and you don't have to think about it, it just creates so much more space for creativity and, and beneficial things to, to pop up through the day instead of falling into these bad habits that we're just accustomed to. So it's a great yeah. one. Listen, it's rainy right now. It's pouring rain. I can get off this call right now and jump in bed. You know, I, I, that's the easy thing to do, but the entire day is set until 6 p.m. for, for, I, but that's just how I've always set my time, you know? I don't know. So maybe you don't need it, but for those people like me who no, just no, but can't you can get out of those bad habits, it's a good one. Right? Because you, sometimes you do set that schedule and you kind of fall behind on it. For sure. It's for like, sure. ah, we'll, we'll push it to this day or that. No, but it's got to, you got to stay on task. And that's having proper goal set, right? I think that's good. Yeah. Absolutely. Boris? 
so my first book is called Job's Body. Um, it's by Dean Juhan. Um, that was uh, the first book I read right after I came out of massage school. Uh, and it was highly influential in just how I uh, viewed my relationship with the people that I touch. It's a book for manual therapists. Uh, and it, it, it's written not as like a science textbook, uh, but it's written almost like a fiction book. But the content is, uh, you know, what is the power of touch on a molecular, on a cellular level? Mm-hmm. Uh, what's happening in the body when you uh, lay your hands on people in a way that's supposed to be uh, healing, right? Um, so he, he, that, I really, really love that book. Um, and I constantly, I have it uh, with me all the time. Um, the second book uh, is Left Hand of Darkness by Ursula Le Guin. It's uh, a sci-fi classic. I love my sci-fi books. <laughs> can, can I tell you something? I started reading my first uh, sci-fi book. Oh, which one? Uh, An Old Man's War. Uh, I've heard of it. I've heard of it. Yeah. Let me know how it is. I will, because there's three of them. But yeah, yeah, I feel like science fiction is great to get into because it makes your imagination flow because I'm so used to reading nonfiction, which is great. I love nonfiction, but I just need to stimulate my mind in other ways too. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, sci-fi is awesome. Um, the other one you should get into is Dune by Frank Herbert. Okay, I'm ready. That is, that is an all-time classic. That'll come up on, that's the top three for every, you know, okay. in everyone's sci-fi list. You said Dune um, or Dune? Dune, D-U-N-E. Okay. All right, fine. They're actually coming out with a movie for it. Uh, uh, good. Um, and then my third book is Musashi. Um, not the book of the five rings, which is, uh, written by him. Um, but, the the uh, what's it called? Uh, historical, historical fiction. Uh, it's a, it was written in like the early 1900s. Um, and it was released, uh, book by book. There's five books. It should all come in one, but, uh, there's a book of earth, book of fire, book of water. Um, and it basically is like a, an account of his life uh, from when he uh, was this young uh, barbaric kid uh, thirsty to like go to war and earn accolades to how he became like humbled and turned onto this path of becoming uh, a ronin of becoming this uh, meditative contemplative person and trying to achieve enlightenment through the way of the sword. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's one of my favorite books. It's, it's like 1200 pages at least. Um, but it, I flew through it. I think I read that book in like three weeks. It's so good. Really? Well, that's the thing. I think I can tell you guys definitely read when it comes to reading, like you start delving into different avenues and you start reading different topics and then you just start crushing books. Mm-hmm. You know? and, I, and I think that is something you probably wouldn't have read maybe five, 10 years ago, but now it's like, oh no, like this is what I'm into now. Oh, well, the, the Eastern Zen way of life kind of appealed to me uh, when I started learning yoga uh, and, I, and I read like the yoga sutras and um, I started delving into Buddhism. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that Musashi I actually read 
uh, seven years ago, and I reread I reread it again like three years ago. Um, so I love that kind of mindset and way of life that Eastern uh, Buddhists thinking has been very helpful. Right. Yeah. I'm definitely way more on the Western side. Like I, <laughs> no, but you gotta, you gotta have a little bit on the other side too. Absolutely. I completely agree with that. All right. Last question. So let's say we can go back in time five years and you can give yourself any advice to your previous five yourself. What would the advice be? Um, so I, I don't know, five years ago, I, I'm pretty happy. I, I, I met my husband, we got married, you know, <laughs> we started a family, we're starting this business. So I'm really happy. Um, but I'd say like, uh, 10, 15 years ago, I would probably tell myself to maybe, uh, live my truth a little bit more. I think everybody in their, in their, late teens kind of falls into this where they try and do what they think they're supposed to do Mm -hmm. um instead of um kind of trying to follow what you're more passionate about and i do believe in dharma so i don't think you know you should quit your job and (laughs) do do whatever floating around in the clouds but i i do think that um you should kind of I would tell myself to to move toward what speaks to me instead of instead of what uh, other people expect expect of me. Right. Yeah. Uh, and for me, uh, I think I would just say to myself five years ago to have faith, uh, to have faith in your path and your passions, um, and faith that faith is more important in times when uh you have a lot of doubt uh when things are looking bleak um that just have faith that this is also just a natural part of life and that you'll just you'll come out of it and um you'll you get stronger through those trials and tribulations yeah i think especially right now <laughs> We're all dealing with that, right? Where we, we, it's the fear of the unknown, right? Because if it was that, okay, in two weeks we'll be fine, in one month we'll be fine, like we really don't know that, right? But all we can do is, you know, live in the moment of right now, like be in constant contact with people in the profession like we're doing today, you know? at this point, just do your part, right? Like for me, I'm doubling down right now. Like I'm investing so much into myself now because I have the time, you know, but some people might, you know, fall into a hole where it's like, oh man, I don't know what to do with my time. I'm freaking out. But what, what's the point of that, right? I, I think it's, it's just our time to really just become better people, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. But all right, guys, we're at an hour. I want to thank you guys so much for coming on. I think this is a great conversation, and I definitely do not believe this will be the last one. Awesome. Thank you, Carlos. Thanks for having us. It was great. Thanks so much. Hey, guys, thank you so much for listening today. I hope we all learned something informative. And if you like the show, please leave a five-star review. And if you really liked it, share it with someone that you think would really enjoy it. Hope you guys all have a great day. Take care.